passage of scripture for the entire year, sharpening our focus in 2020. Acts chapter 20. We'd like to read again verse number 19 through verse number 28 responsively. Allow me to read verse 19 in the succeeding odd-numbered verses. Would you please read with me in unison the even-numbered verses beginning with verse number 20 through verse number 28. Once again and once more, Acts chapter 20, verses 19 through 28, and reading responsively. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the gospel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. And now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you might speak to our hearts once again afresh and anew from this passage of Scripture that's been our theme text for our year of sharpening our focus in 2020. And today, Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified. May we understand clearly the subject of biblical repentance. Well, thank you for it. Bless now, we pray, in our minutes around thy wonderful word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you remain standing, we're going to sing our little praise chorus for this month. We're going to sing, Open Our Eyes, Lord, We Want to See Jesus. And at this time, all children children's workers can be dismissed to junior church. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him and say that we And you may be seated. Thank you, Brother Eric. Thank you, Sherry. I look forward to the day when I can say thank you, choir, again. I look forward to that day. And uh, until then, thank you, uh, Marge and Sherry, for that special music that you sang. And thank you for being here. The last Sunday of the month, of course, last Sunday of our luncheons, special luncheons, of course. And I invite you all to stay for the uh, all things pasta, all things Italian, I guess, this afternoon. I was short devotional and be done by one whatever, 115, 130, whatever it is, and on our way home. Next week, of course, we'll start 
Looking forward to getting back to our 6 p.m. evening gospel hour and revival meetings five weeks in a row of uh, Sunday night special meetings with five different preachers. Look forward to that. Acts chapter 20, I mentioned for the fourth time, we preached from this passage of scripture a verse each uh, in the last several weeks here. And this morning here, we're going to round up. I could preach the entire year, no problem at all. Easily, we could dissect this passage of scripture for the entire year, and we would not even come close to exhausting it. But I draw your attention to Paul's letter once again, his farewell address to the Ephesian elders after being there for three years. He will see their face no more. And he preaches, of course, he testifies to them. And uh, he tells them what's most important in this last speech that he gives, this last uh, coach job, if I could call it that, that he gives to these Ephesian elders as he's going to leave Asia Minor and journey on to Jerusalem and then over, of course, to Rome where he would be beheaded. Our text verse for the entire year is verse 20, of course, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly. That's what's going to happen for the next half hour or so. And taught you publicly and from house to house. And he starts right out of the gate of the most important thing. And I want to preach, I'm preaching this morning to you. Not your neighbor. Not uh, the person that's not here. They, the word of God's void for them this morning here. They're not hearing the word of God. But I'm preaching to you this morning. So forget about your neighbor for a moment. Get selfish and drinking the word of God this morning. Verse 21 is our text verse, and our text word is found in this verse. Paul said, testifying both to the Jews. The gospel came to the Jew first, and also to the Greeks. That's everybody else. If you're not Jewish, you're falling in the Gentile or Greek category. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to deal with the subject of repentance this morning. You see the outline, or rather the title of the message this morning, and I'm kind of forewarn you, prep you a little bit, a little bit of teaching message this morning, so listen up and drink in the Word of God, and let's dissect the Word of God, and let's find out what, define what biblical repentance really is in regards to salvation all about. Very important. In fact, your whole eternity depends on it. The Bible says in First Peter or Second Peter, rather, chapter one, verse ten. You need not turn there. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. In other words, I'm preaching to a lot of church members this morning. I'm preaching to a lot of, by name at least, Christians this morning. In fact, I think everyone in this room would probably, if you were individually called out, would say, "Yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I attend church. I'm here after all, right now." And that's good. And I'm glad that you're here. But the Bible says, not everyone, Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. You might have prayed a prayer once upon a time. Maybe it took, <laughs> but maybe it didn't. And I want to define that. I don't want to, I don't want to scare you, or, but I do want to concern you to make your calling and election sure. Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? We preached in your name. We came to church in your name. We cast out devils in your name. We did many wonderful works in your name. And the Lord will say unto them, Depart from me, the work iniquity. I never knew you. So I'm preaching to you this morning. Now you may be saved. You may not be saved. 
That's for the Holy Spirit of God and for you to discern this morning here. But whether you're saved, then this message is applicable in regards to a proper sharpening your focus in regards to repentance for your neighbor, for your friend, for your loved one, for your spouse, for your sister, brother, what have you, for your work partner, that you understand what biblical repentance in regards to salvation is. If you're not saved, then if you're not truly repentant in regards to salvation, I trust that today will be the day of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and sins forgiven. But I wanted to begin with our statement, our focus statement, if you will, our out-of-the-box statement, sharpening our focus in 2020, involves understanding biblical repentance in regard to salvation. Jesus said two times in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, he said, Nay, but I say unto you, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He didn't say most of you will perish. He said all shall repent. All shall perish if you accept you repent. John the Baptist preached a, 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 a preaching of repentance. Repentance is a biblical doctrine. Now, I don't have time to go in detail, and I don't want to scare you, but I want you to know there's two extremes in regards to biblical repentance in regards to salvation. The first extreme is to the left of our page, and hopefully you guys get it on the screen. It's a belief system, and this divides, this subject of repentance divides churches and divides denominations divides, and there's much misunderstanding, sadly, of this verse right before us, our text verse, verse 21 of chapter 20. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What does saving faith and what does repentance have to do with saving faith? Well, first of all, there's a belief system. The first extreme is that of the belief in what's called lordship salvation. That unless you make Jesus Lord in every area of your life, and you, many, there's different degrees of lordship salvation. If I, if I, Hang on to Jesus. If I, if I make him Lord of my life all my life. I was in Ohio this past Monday and Tuesday and came back on Wednesday to see my father. We were in Middlefield, Ohio, the fourth largest Amish community in America. We saw all kinds of Amish. And they're nice people to look at. They're nice people to have as your neighbors. But many of them think they're going to go to heaven because they're trying to they have a works religion. They're making Jesus Lord of their life all the way through their life and they won't apostate from the faith. They won't turn Yankee as it's called and Lordship Salvation says I must hold on to Jesus in one form or another it's a works based salvation there's only two religions in all the world God's religion and Satan's religion God's religion is all wrapped up in the word done Jesus said it is finished Satan's religion is all wrapped up in the word do what can I do to inherit eternal life Lordship salvation devolves, and I said devolves, into what's called, a, what's really a work salvation. Now, the other extreme, and I'm a Baptist, and I'm happy to be a Baptist. I'm humbled to be a Baptist. But us Baptists, we have problems like everybody else has problems. We just have our own set of problems. One of the problems that some Baptists have is that of believing what's called easy believism. And I believe in once saved, saved forever, always saved for sure. And I believe in everlasting life. And Jesus paid it all. I understand that. But easy believism, sometimes it's known as decision, decisionism. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Billy Graham used to say, and I, I, I'm not dissing Billy Graham. He's in heaven. He's probably responsible for seeing more people saved in the 20th century than any man in, in history, of course, or in the last 100 years. But he said many times, he would say many to millions of people, make a decision for Christ. Maybe you've made a decision for Christ. That's great. Maybe that decision was... A biblical decision of salvation, maybe it wasn't. But easy believism is 
goes something like this. I call it the one, two, three, pray after me uh, gospel. Hey, how many believe, in fact, if you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, say amen. amen. If you believe he rose again on the third day, say amen. amen. Now, if you believe that, and I, I dare say everybody in this room believes that. I, I'm, I'm making a painting with a broad brush. I don't know that, but I think so. I'd like to think so. But simply believing that Jesus died on the cross alone or rose again from heaven, without biblical repentance, there is no salvation. And this easy belief is to go something like this. Hey, you want to go to heaven when you die? How many want to go to heaven when you die? Say amen. amen. Uh, who, who wouldn't want to go to heaven? Is there anybody that wouldn't want to go to heaven? Well, then pray this prayer after me. Jesus, come into my heart, be my Savior, and take me to heaven when I die. Now, you say, what? I didn't get that. I call it a one, two, three, pray after me. The Bible says, for the heart man believes in the righteousness, for the mouth confession is made in salvation. It's one thing to pray, Jesus, come into my heart, but the Bible says, Jesus said, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? Didn't we call out your name? The Lord will say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. So I don't want to confuse you. I told you out of the gate, this little bit of hard message this morning in one sense, and we're trying to go right down the middle in regards to biblical truth, in regards to biblical repentance. And let me give you as fast as I can seven things that repentance in regards to biblical salvation is not. Number one, biblical repentance is not, in order in, for salvation, it's not human reformation. It's not cleaning up your act. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not biblical reformation. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, can the leopard change his spot? Or can the leopard take off his spots? The answer to that, of course, is obvious. Of course not. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Of course not. Then how may ye that are accustomed to do evil do good? We can't change what we're, our DNA, if we will. We can't change our, who we are. We're sinners. We're born sinners. Jesus said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 5.20. He shall no case enter the kingdom of heaven. There's many alcoholics that can stop drinking and doesn't make them saved. There's many a drug addict that gets clean from drugs and cleans up their act, doesn't save them. The thief can stop stealing. The adulterer can stop fornicating. But that's all reformation. And reformation is good and well in itself. If you can reform and turn over a new life, that's wonderful. But that's not regeneration. I have an A and B, and it's not on your worksheet, of course. But if we drill down a little bit deeper to explain this first truth that re regeneration is not human reformation. Reformation is man-centered. And it's, quote-unquote, this world-centered. Now, I might make somebody mad. I'm not trying to do that. If I offend you, I'm sorry. AA is a classic example of reformation. Twelve steps. They used to have God intricately involved in those steps. Now your higher power can be a doorknob. Now they want reformation without God. They want to clean up. They want sins, forg sins forgiven without acknowledging their sin. They say it's a disease. Reformation is man-centered, man-based. It's world-based, this world-based. It's psychology-based. Repentance, on the other hand, is God-centered. Repentance 
Acts 20, 21, repentance toward God. And eternity-centered. Repentance is toward God, towards the eternal God. You may clean up your life for an earthly lifetime, but it won't get you to heaven. Because your righteousness cannot get you to heaven on your own. The prodigal son, when he went to the pigsty, you know the story, Luke chapter 15, verse number 18. When he was down in the pig, pig pen, you know the story. He left his father and left his father's house. And he came to his own. He came to his own census. And he said, I will go, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. You see, another way of saying it is Reformation is problem-centered, focusing on the addiction, the faults, the destructive behavior. But repentance is sin-centered. They confess. They have sinned. They don't make excuses for it. They go to the right source. And so repentance, number one, is some things repentance is not. Repentance, first of all, is not Reformation. Secondly, biblical repentance in regards to salvation now is not, hang on, don't get mad at me, penance, P-E-N-A-N-C-E. It's not penance. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, we would say money from your vain conversation or vain lifestyle received by the tradition of men. About 15, 20 years ago now, I went with the Blavas. We went to Quebec, went to Quebec City and then north to Chicoutimi. Some of you know your geography of the Quebec, maybe. We went to St. Anne of Beaupree, the Catholic cathedral up in, outside of Quebec City. By far and away, the most opulent church facility or building I've ever been in in my life. Solid gold, 12, 12 feet of solid gold, St. Anne of Beaupree at the top of the top of the church, maybe a football field size inside sanctuary. They had not hundreds, but thousands of candles lit all along the, the sides of the church. Thousands and thousands of candles. And for $4 Canadian dollars, you could light a candle and pray for a loved one, or you could pray for penance, for forgiveness. The Catholic doctrine of penance is it's really one of the seven sacraments. It defines Penance as sins done after baptism are, are absolved by the priest upon confession, prayers, good deeds, and almsgiving. There's four parts to re, for penance. I didn't grow up Catholic, so I had to study this out. Some of you did. Catholic penance involves confession, number one, contrition, number two, absolution, number three, and satisfaction, number four. Now, I quote from the Catholic Dictionary in regards to the definition of penance. Here it is, I quote. A payment of the temporal punishment due to sins through works, which are good and penal and are imposed upon the confessor. Translation, you can absolve or clean up or erase your sins through your good works, through your penance. I'm here to tell you, according to the word of God, that repentance, biblical repentance, is not good works. It's not something that you can do to obtain Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us. And so let's get what repentance is not, first of all, before we find out what it is. Repentance is not reformation. Secondly, biblical repentance in regard to salvation is not penance. Thirdly, number three, repentance, biblical repentance that Paul was talking about in Acts 20, 21, 
in regards to salvation, it's not mere remorse. It's not mere remorse from wrong actions. When Judas, the betrayer, betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, most of you know the story. It's recorded in Matthew 27, verse 3, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. Judas felt bad. He he felt very sorrowful. And he brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. Translation, my shot translation, get lost. We don't care. You see, what was Judas's confession? Judas confessed, but he confessed to the wrong person, the wrong people. Going back, and I'll leave it unnamed, but the illusion is, I think, pretty obvious to you folks that grew up in this church. Some churches have booths. They call them confessional booths. And you go in and you confess your sins to another man. Some call him a priest. And that man that you confess your sins to, he's also a sinner as well. You can come and confess your sin to me if you want to, but I won't be able to cleanse not one ounce of your sin. Not one one stitch of your sin can be cleansed by me. Because I'm a sinner too. And I want you to know that this penance is not just mere remorse, not feeling bad, not, it's not just going to the wrong person. Judas went out, he went to the potter's field and not to the Savior for his repentance. It did him no good. I want you to turn, keep your bookmark or something in your, your bulletin in Acts 20. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. I want you to see this verse, very important verse, very key verse on the subject of biblical repentance in regards to salvation. I would encourage you to underline it and mark it in your Bible. Acts chapter 7, verse number 10 it is. The Bible says, For godly sorrow, godly sorrow worketh repentance. I've said it many times. I said it two weeks ago, I believe it was. That the Holy Spirit is the author of conviction. The Bible says, Godly sorrow or godly repentance or godly conviction worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. There's never been a day that I regretted the day that I bowed, my, bowed the knees, so to speak, and asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save me from my sins. I'm so glad I'll never regret the greatest decision I ever made in my life. I was born again. I was saved by his blood, by biblical repentance. But the Bible goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 7.10, but the sorrow... We could insert the repentance of the world or this world worketh death. Judas was sorry. He repented himself. He repented to the wrong people. And he went out and hung himself. There's some people that die in their sins, multitudes of people that die in their sins, that they're, they're penitent, they're, they're sorry for their sins, but that doesn't lead to salvation if they confess or they go to the wrong source. So repentance is not mere remorse for Wrong actions. Top Lady, the writer of the 200-year-old hymn now, I believe it is, Rock of Ages, said these words. Listen to them carefully once again. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. 
In my hand no price I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You see, Jesus paid it all. So repentance is not mere remorse for wrongdoing of actions. And number four, or fourth of seven things, that repentance, biblical repentance in regards to salvation is not. Repentance is not mere confession. Now hold on, I know some of you are getting nervous here and we're walking a fine line here in some ways. It's not mere confession of our acknowledgement of sin. Let me give you the, the biblical example text and then we'll give an example. Pharaoh, after the ninth plague of Egypt, you know the story. Five times it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. Five times it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's individual responsibility, human accountability. Pharaoh hardened God's heart. When you harden your heart, by the way, God steps one step back further. And he'll start, he'll not speak to you in such a loud voice, in a softer voice. And you harden your heart again, you'll get to the point where your conscience will be seared with a hot iron, and God will never speak. And you'll not hear his voice. Seared with a hot iron. Seared, his conscience is seared. But here we see this Pharaoh. He hardened his heart on the ninth time, and he finally came to Moses, I believe, kicking and screaming, and he says in Exodus 9, 27, let me just quote it to you. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. You heard the tone of voice inflection that I tried to use. He came kicking and screaming. He came against his will. Okay, all right, I admit it. We've, I've sinned. We've sinned. Okay, so, translation, so what? I don't really care. I mean, I don't know how many people I've talked to over the years said, when I asked them the question, well, have, could you confess to God that you're a sinner? They say, well, yes, I, of course I've sinned. Everybody sins. Sometimes that's a flippant way of saying, hey, I'm no better or no worse than anybody else. You see, repentance is not mere confession of our acknowledgement of sins. It's much more than that. Now, the key phrase in these, these, what repentance is not is the word not merely or not mere. Certainly, there's sorrow for sin in repentance. Number five here, let me hurry along here. Number five, repentance is not merely changing from unbelief to belief. When the Philippian, Philippian jailer, when Paul and Silas at midnight were in jail in Philippi, and the prison bars were loose and the prisoners were, and they were unshackled and the doors were unloosed, the Philippian jailer came running in, and I don't feel like getting down on my knees. Take me too long to get up on my get up from my knees if I fell down and illustrated. But I can see this Philippian jailer with his suit of armor on and his sword on his sheath, and falling down and holding up his hands and saying, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" The Bible says he came in trembling. He says, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" In Acts sixteen thirty one, we quote it all the time. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now thank God for that verse. And believing is an integral part of salvation, no doubt about it. It says so right in the verse. But what does that believing entail? What does that believing also include? The Bible says in Psalm 38, verse 18, for I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin." 
thousand times I've said it. Here's a thousand and one. No, it's a thousand, two thousand and one. But it needs to be said again. Nobody ever gets saved. You are not saved if you were never lost. You're not on your way to heaven if you did not acknowledge you were on your way to hell. You can't have the positive and blessings without the cursing and the negative. For by grace you are saved through faith and then not of yourselves with the gift of God. By his mercy he saves us. This believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Some define repentance as turning from unbelief to belief. Well, I've already asked the question, and I don't need to ask you again. How many believe that Jesus died on the cross? And you all said amen. How many believe he rose again the third day? You all said amen. How many believe that he's the Savior? You say amen. But is that enough in and of itself? You see, repentance, an addendum to, verse, to number five, what repentance is not, it's a change of mind toward God and sin. Not just a change of mind towards the God of the Bible, that he's right, but a change of mind who we are, that we're wrong. That he's the Savior, we're the sinners. That he saves and we're condemned, we're lost. Leads me to number six here. Repentance is not merely changing one's mind. Now, I, for you upperclassmen, I could be starting to lose you if I don't define. You say, preacher, I thought that's what repentance was, a change of mind. The word mentao is the word, the definition, strongest definition for the Greek word mentao found 56 times in our New Testament. It's the word for, it means a change of mind. A change of mind about who God is and who we are. But first, Thessalonians 1.9, Paul said to the Thessalonican pagan worshipers in Thessalonica, they worshiped Greek gods and goddesses all their life. And he said, For they themselves show us of what manner of entering we had unto you, and how that ye turned to God, ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, here's the argument, one of the arguments about repentance and one of the, the misnomers and wrong thought processes that some people adopt and believe when they talk about repentance to salvation. Some say, well, if you've got to repent of all your sins, if repentance is turning from all your sins, how, does, how much sin do you need to turn from? Let me say it another way. When I was saved as an 11-year-old boy, I didn't know the Ten Commandments. I knew a few of them. I knew thou shalt not kill. I knew thou shalt not steal. I don't even know if an 11-year-old boy, if I knew what adultery was at 11 years old. I couldn't qualify that in the list of do's and don'ts. Honor thy father and mother, I think I knew that one. There's a whole lot of sins I didn't know. Sins of commission, sins of omission. Big sins, little sins that I didn't know about when I got saved. But I asked Jesus to forgive me my sin. And maybe a blanket statement, all my sin, without even knowing what all my sin was going to be. Now, I have, and you have too, hundreds of times, okay, let's be honest, thousands of times after we've been saved, we still sin. That's why we sing this song on purpose, only a sinner saved by grace. We're all sinners still. How much sin do you need to repent of when you receive Christ as your Savior? 
Well, we could say all of our sin, but we don't know. We're blinded. We don't know what all of our future sin is going to be like or what it is. We don't even know. But repentance is a change of mind towards sin so that the sinner no longer intends to walk in rebellion against God. Let me give you number seven here, and I hope I haven't thoroughly confused you in the last 20-some minutes here. Let's get to number seven, and then let's get to what repentance is. Number seven, repentance is not, finally, it is not merely the same as believing. You see, it's, it, it's, it has to be more than believing. I'll tell you why. Thou believest there is one God. How many believe there is one God? Well, I was hoping to Let's try that again. Give me an amen if you believe there's one God. Okay? How many believe there's one God? Amen. amen. There's only one God. Now, by the way, if you don't believe there's only one God, you're probably not saved. I'm just being blunt with you. If you think that Buddhists are God or the Hindus, or Hindus have gods, you're not, you're not a Christian. Let me say that again. If you believe that Hindus have gods and they're, they're true, you're not a Christian. You're not saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, I don't like that in your face preaching. That's the Bible. That's what Jesus said. So it's not merely believing, though, because you say, well, we believe. I've had you testify two times already that Jesus died on the cross. You said, amen. Jesus rose again. You said, amen. That Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. You said, amen. I could ask you a series of more questions on Jesus. You'd do amen to every one of them, probably. But you know what? James 2, 19 says this way. Thou believest there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils believe also and tremble. Every demon of hell believes that Jesus is, is the Savior. They know that he died on the cross. They know he rose again. They, they know that he didn't raise figuratively. He rose literally bodily, from, physically from the grave. But he, they, they, they've never received him as Savior. They, they can't receive him as Savior. So we see where repentance is not. No, three bullet points and we'll be done. What is repentance in? You say, preacher, I've been waiting for a half hour for you to tell, tell me what repentance is. So here it is. Repentance is to acknowledge one's sin and rebellion against God. Saw, David said when he sinned, he sinned against Uriah the Hittite. He had him killed, as a matter of fact. He sinned against some maybe 20, 30 other men as well when he had them killed to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. You know the story, most of you upperclassmen. But he said in Psalm, the penitential Psalm, Psalm 51, verse 4, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and may be clear when thou judgest. You see, the sin that we commit is first and foremost against our Savior, against our Creator, against our God. It's sin against heaven. Biblical repentance acknowledges sin for what it is, it's not an excuse. It's not a disease. It's not in our DNA. It's not uh, something we can't help. The devil made me do it. We need to own it. It's our sin. We sin against God. Adam and Eve, were they willfully, wherefore it's by one man sin entered in the world and death by sin, so the death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Repentance is to acknowledge one's sin and rebellion against God and to change one's mind about sinning against God. Now, the psalmist said, I already quoted the verse, I will be sorry for my sin. When I got saved as a 11-year-old boy for the second time and last, I didn't know all the list of sins. I didn't know my future. And uh, as I 
began to grow in knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, began to read the Bible, began to go to church and hear the preaching of the Word of God, and I was instructed. I realized that there was a whole lot of sins that I didn't even know were sins. And I began to, I had to start to clean up my act, and then I was introduced to new sins, and I fell into those, and I, I had to ask the Lord to forgive me for that. It was a progressive, there's positional sanctification and there's progressive sanctification. But I want you to know, one reason I know that I'm truly saved is because I have a Holy Spirit of God in my heart that convicts me, pricks my heart. When I walk against his will, when I do go contrary to his word, when I'm not walking like I should walk, that's the Holy Spirit of God, not the devil that guilts you, but the Holy Spirit of God that convicts you. And so repentance is to acknowledge one's sin and rebellion against God and to change one's mind against sinning against God. Point number two, or arrow number two, bullet point number two, whatever you want to call it. Repentance is, in regards to biblical salvation, not a work. Hence we would fall into what's called lordship salvation or works-based religion. It's not something that we do. Let me quote you a verse we quote all the time. I already quoted it once, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, that any man should boast. But verse 10, for we are, do you know it? His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, repentance is not a work. It is the gift of grace. The Bible says in Acts chapter 11, verse number 18, when the church at Antioch, or the, people, the Jews found out, it said, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. The church started off while all Jews, everybody that got saved in the early church in the book of Acts chapter 2 were Jews. We get to Acts chapter 11, and God opens the door to the Gentiles. And they were granted, they were received the gift of eternal life. And they too, their eyes were open. God opened their eyes and they saw their need to receive Christ as their Savior. I'll give you an illustration. We'll get the last point. We're done. I got three good sons-in-laws. Three sons-in-laws I love. My middle son-in-law, of course, Jonathan Vastero. He's a Navy officer. Most of you know that day he's down in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina this morning. Or he's at church this morning, I'm hoping, if he's not at work. And uh, he has seven kids, one on the way, as you all know. We're happy about that. Uh, Jonathan grew up in church. In fact, he grew up in the nursery at Harvest Baptist Church back on 624 24 West Street in our church. His mom and dad were lifelong churchgoers. Jonathan was in the cradle, or he was in the nursery at church. Jonathan's 34 years old now, something like that. He's been in church basically for 34 years, the first 10, 15 years of his life was under protest. He, his parents brought him whether he wanted to come or not. But he grew up in church. He grew up in vacation Bible school. He got to know the things of God and so forth and, was, and uh, became a deacon in his church. He's one of the best men in his church. They go to church every time the doors are open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They go on their church visitation program. They have once a month door hanging at their church and they, they go everywhere. They bring his whole, whole family. They go door hanging. They, I was in church visiting them a couple months ago on a Wednesday night, and the preacher asked, Jonathan, uh, would you lead us in prayer? And he led the church in corporate prayer on Wednesday night. But Jonathan, 
after 33 some years of being a Christian, going to church, went to an old-fashioned revival meeting in a tent meeting in Virginia last year, a year and a half ago now, and the preacher preached that they needed to be repent and we'd be saved. Jonathan went forward fast, quickly during the invitation to the front of the auditorium or to the front of the tent meeting there at the altar. The preacher didn't know why he was coming. He said, what are you coming for? You must want to pray for somebody? He said, no, I need to get saved. Jonathan, I don't want to confuse anybody, but he, he played church his whole life. He was a good guy. He had good reformation. He knows that living by a set of rules is better than not living by no uh, 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 archaic rather uh, uh, no rules in life. And he realized that, you know what, I think I was told that I prayed a prayer when I was a boy or a child and five or six years old, but I don't remember it. And the Lord and the Spirit of God have been working on this heart for months, and even a year or two. What am I really ever saved? Have I ever really been born again? And John, Jonathan got saved, he got born again, he received Christ as his Savior. He got baptized, he didn't say he got rebaptized. he got baptized. You really only get baptized once after salvation, after you believe on Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. But repentance is a work of grace. It's a work, it's a gift of grace. It's not a work, but it's God that works in us. It leads me to the last bullet point in the illustration we're done. Biblical faith results in works. Paul said, repentance testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God. Biblical faith results in works. Faith is not works. Likewise, repentance, true biblical repentance, is not works, but results in works. You see, the Bible says, Jesus said, by your fruits ye shall know them. I'm not teaching you a lordship salvation. I'm not teaching you a works-based salvation. I am teaching you that if you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, and you ask him not only just with your lips, one, two, three, pray after me, but with your heart, you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. There will be a change in your life because God came in. Christ is in your heart. There's the Holy Spirit of God that changes you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you are saved. You say, how do I process that? How do I do that? You've got to come just as you are. I don't care. I don't know how many millions of souls will be in hell as being a church member all of their life, 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 years. A church member, maybe a Baptist church. You've been a Baptist all your life. Not, not, these for sin could not atone. Not, not being a Baptist, not being having good works, but by receiving Jesus Christ alone to save you. The songwriter saying, just as I am without one plea. I, got, I think about that song. I try not to sing it too much for invitations because it's so old hat. We've been singing it for so many years. So I was thinking of, my mother was saved by a Billy Graham crusade on television. And I think the song of choice for the 50 years of Billy Graham crusades was just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you're here and you've been a good church member. Maybe you've been a Baptist. Maybe you've been a whatever fill-in-the-blank denomination you want to pick. But that won't save you. Repentance is not reformation. It's not penance. It's, it's a free gift of God. It's, it's believing in Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you. And you can be saved today if you'll soften your heart and ask Christ to come in and save you. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we thank you for this simple truth, and yet, Lord, it's so complex to so many people and so confusing to others. Paul didn't say he testified both to Jews and Greeks faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He said repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's twofold. It's all together, but it's twofold. Or maybe there's someone today that needs to receive Christ as their Savior once and for all. Oh, they've had you up in their head intellectually for many years, maybe. They believe you died on the cross, but they never personalized it. They never said, no, I am a sinner. Oh, the world is, oh, everyone sins, but I am a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins myself in a place called hell. But Lord, I ask right now that you come into my heart and be my Savior. Jesus, I believe you're the only Savior. And you'll save me if I call upon you. Not because I'm good, but because you're good. And you're perfect, and you're the Savior. So I invite you into my heart. I ask that you beg that you come into my heart. Save me from my sins. Make me a child of God. Take me to heaven when I die. Lord, I pray for Christians that we might properly define. We may not be guilty of easy believism with people and just say, hey, pray a prayer and you'll be saved. May we not be guilty of lordship salvation, thinking you've got to work to get to heaven. You've got to add to make Jesus Lord of your life in every area of your life and hold on to the end. They're both heresies. Salvation is right at the cross of Calvary, not to the right, not to the left. It's receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, knowing that we're the sinners and you're the Savior. Have your will and way in our midst, we pray, as we close out our service in this invitation time, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand 167 in the hymn book, 167. Let's sing three of the five verses for sure. Maybe we'll sing it all here, but just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me.